This is a Tech Briefs Media Group podcast. This is Bruce Bennett with NASA Tech Briefs. I'm speaking with Stephen Schmidt, director of the Dry Aircraft Operations Facility in Palmdale, California. You joined NASA in November 1994 as a project engineer and manager after a successful career at Rockwell where you worked on a number of programs, including the Space Shuttle and the B-1B bomber. What prompted you to leave private industry and pursue a career with NASA? Okay. Well, I was employed with uh, Rockwell. Uh, I was assigned as a uh, lead flight test engineer on the X-31 Enhanced Fighter Maneuverability Program uh, at Dryden. This was it was an interesting program. It was the first uh, international uh, experimental aircraft development uh, program that was administered by the uh, U.S. And uh, also, it was one of the most successful programs initiated by this uh, NATO Cooperative Research and Development Program. So it was it was very uh, very unique and very interesting program. And uh, while I was working at uh, uh, Dryden, uh, while employed with uh, Rockwell. I had a, a manager at NASA approach me uh, and handed me a job announcement uh, for a project manager and stated that I should apply for the apply for the position. Um, I was uh, a bit surprised, but also uh, honored to have been uh, told of the opportunity. I was even more flattered that the individual even brought this to me and uh, this announcement and asked me to apply. And of all places, NASA. You know, like, wow, this has got to be cool. And I, I just remembered when I was a when I was a kid in grade school, had a uh, very strong interest in astronomy and had a desire to one day to become an astronomer. You know, and then uh, back in the '60s, uh, you know, you had Sputnik mm-hmm. and Yuri Gagarin and the Apollo program that further fueled my interest in that area. And uh, uh, I've always been intrigued by NASA and, and the aeronautics exploration and science missions, and even filled out an application one time to become an astronaut. Um, you know, that's kind of how it all came to play there. One of the more intriguing programs you worked on and managed for NASA in the late 1990s involved the legendary SR-71 Blackbird spy planes that the Air Force gave NASA for research purposes. What types of projects did you carry out with those planes, and what did you learn from them? This is uh, and this was interesting. This was one of the uh, first uh, first projects I was assigned when I came to work for NASA, and it's always an aircraft I've always admired and wanted to be a part of. And uh, uh, you know, I thought, geez, coming to work for NASA, uh, working on the SR seventy one program. Uh, I thought, geez, how cool is that to work for NASA and work on one of the world's most historic aircraft? And I thought, geez, it doesn't get any better than that. So I, uh, I was, I was in, uh, uh, was in kind of seventh heaven at that time. But uh, we, we also used the uh, uh, this uh, unique aircraft to study various ways of reducing sonic boom over pressures. Uh, that you hear when an aircraft goes supersonic over the ground, which is uh, uh, like a sharp clap mm-hmm. uh, when an aircraft exceeds the speed of sound. But uh, this, that, this particular project that we had provided some data to uh, various aircraft designers to reduce uh, uh, this, this peak or sharp snap of sonic booms and minimize uh, the, the startle effect people get uh, when they hear, hear this uh, uh, sonic boom wave. 
another project that we worked on was the uh, Linear Aerospike SR-71 experiment, or LASER, uh, that was in support of the engine development for the X-33 program. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the aircraft was uh, fitted with a test fixture on the back of the airplane, which allowed the aircraft to be uh, like a flying wind tunnel. Uh -huh. uh, that allowed uh, uh, the engineers to gather uh, uh, aerodynamic uh, data under realistic flight conditions uh, in, in the environment because the uh, performance characteristics of the SR were similar to the performance characteristics of the X-33, so that allowed them to uh, get, get data uh, in, in a real-world environment. Uh, the uh, uh, the other uh, one of the other uh, projects worked on was uh, uh, that we helped was the reactivation of the SR-71 because we had flyable airplanes, we had uh, uh, qualified crew members, uh, flight and ground crew, and we were able to support the, the congressional uh, direction in returning three of these uh, uh, SR-71s. Uh, uh, back into active service and reconnaissance capability. So th those were some of the major ones that we worked on. So that was, that was pretty interesting. Mm -hmm. In May 2008, you were appointed director of NASA's new Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility, which you had basically been managing since its inception in September 2007. What is the Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility, and why was it established? Uh, the uh, uh, Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility, or day off as we refer to it, uh, uh, was, a, a, was originally put in and established to serve as a long-term solution in support of NASA's Science Mission Directorate, or S&D, uh, airborne science platforms, and to provide also a base of operations for uh, SOFIA mm -hmm. uh, aircraft. But also, the, the facility also supports uh, other uh, uh, specially equipped uh, scientific aircraft that also support NASA's uh, Earth and si uh, Space Science activities, which also provides, uh, it also provides collateral aircraft uh, 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 operation site that gives us uh, uh, also a significant cost advantages. Instead of having these types of aircraft spread all over, uh, it provides a, a co-location of all these aircraft in one area. So that, that allows for a uh, uh, a cost advantage in that respect. What types of projects does the Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility typically get involved with on a day-to-day -day basis? Well, we've uh, uh, we've opened up the doors about uh, two and a half years ago, and uh, the aircraft that we currently have uh, in the facility is uh, the Sophia aircraft, which is 747 SP. We have a DC-8, we have an ER-2, and we have a, a G-3 or C-20, as it's referred to. And the uh, various uh, aircraft uh, get involved and are being used for uh, various scientific studies uh, that look at archaeology, they look at the geography, uh, uh, meteorology-type stuff. We look at the ocean, we look at volcanic uh, type activities. We look at uh, various air, uh, uh, atmospheric chemistries, uh, soil science, and biology. But in recently, what we've been on, uh, asked to do, and we have, is we've also collected data from uh, uh, earthquake in Haiti, mm -hmm. uh, the recent oil spill in the Gulf. Uh, we're still supporting that. The recent uh, Hayabusa asteroid mission uh, that did a re-entry here this last month. Right. We've also looked at air 
as well as uh, in California. But we've also uh, get all kinds of different things of looking at uh, various uh, atmospheric chemistries and the dynamics and the ocean processes. But uh, we're also looking at uh, using our G3. We've also used that to gather scientific data for for studies on earthquake predictions, and uh, we've we've been able to do that as well based on the uh, uh, recent activities around the world of mm -hmm. earthquakes. And then Sophia also provides us uh, uh, an astronom uh, uh, from an as astronomy side uh, from the astronomy science uh, various observations that. Uh, allow us opportunities that aren't possible from Earth-based uh, uh, observatories. So uh, there's a lot of uh, very exciting science things that we get involved with here that uh, allow us to interface to the various science communities and anywhere from you know NASA activities mm -hmm. to uh, we get involved from the federal and the state and academia and foreign foreign uh, uh, partners and uh, various industries. So it's we it's stepping up quite a bit. It's pretty exciting. Now the day off facility is headquartered in what was formerly Rockwell's B1, B, B1 bomber final assembly and checkout plant. How difficult was it converting an old aircraft production hangar into a state-of-the-art operational aircraft support facility that could satisfy NASA's requirements? It's, uh, uh, standing up the facility was a uh, significant challenge. However, uh, I have to also uh, say it's been one of the most uh, fun and satisfying assignments, uh, next to flying in military aircraft, of course, mm -hmm. that I've had in a long time. Uh, the facility uh, was uh, empty when we took it over and uh, in a uh, derelict state when we took possession of it uh, when we opened up the doors in uh, October of 07. But from the uh, 2002 to the 2007, the facility was uh, used to uh, film several movies yeah. uh, uh, here, uh, like Hard Rain, uh, The Terminal. Uh, I think it was the last two sequences of the Pirates of the Caribbean were filmed in here. Yeah, that's interesting. So it was. So it was. It, you know, sort of. It kind of has a history there a little mm -hmm. bit, but uh, it was. It was uh, uh, during that time also allowed to fall in a uh, dilapidated state. And uh, when we walked in, we were <clears throat> uh, we were initially allowed to have about a year to bring the facility into an operational state before we first got the first airplane. Uh, uh, best laid plans uh, uh, do get interrupted from time to time. So after, we'd only been in here about a month. And then uh, the first airplane shows up. The DC-8 shows up a month later uh, with uh, not only the airplane, but the ground equipment. The people arrived. And, oh, by the way, we need to, pre we need to prepare for a mission over the Arctic. <laughs> and, and so we're just, well, that's going to be an interesting challenge. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, uh, a month and a half later, it was followed by the arrival of Sophia, which also had its infrastructure that it brought. So we found ourselves making uh, some very significant changes in our priorities that were, uh, that I put to analogous of moving furniture in while you're building the house. Um, uh, the, uh, but I, you know, I, I attribute to the great team that I had uh, that allowed us to stand up this facility, support science missions, the aircraft coming in, supporting 
having an open house uh, uh, within 18 months after starting up. So uh, that's quite an effort of uh, standing up a facility, setting it up, bringing airplanes in, supporting science missions, all concurrent. It was uh, quite a challenge, but, you know, kind of fun, too, because <laughs> there was no cookbook on how to do this. So it made it pretty interesting. The Dryden Aircraft Operation Facility is really an extension of the Dryden Flight Research Center, correct? What does Dayoff give the Research Center that it didn't have before, and how do the two interact with each other on various missions? Uh, to answer uh, your first question, uh, yes, it is an extension of, uh, of Dryden, and the facility serves as a uh, long-term solution in supporting uh, the various Airborne Science Platform requirements of the uh, Science Mission Directorate. Uh, the center uh, uh, provides a base of operations also for SOFIA, as well as a various uh, specially equipped aircraft uh, in support of uh, NASA's Earth Science uh, activities. But the facility also uh, provides easier access to the science platforms by the national and uh, various uh, national and international communities. Uh, they don't, where Dryden itself is on Edwards proper, this is in uh, Palmdale, so it makes the access to the facility of getting here shorter and it makes it easier for, for them to get in. But it also provides the various cost savings to the consolidation of these various uh, science platforms and and the other similar operations that we have down here. So there is there is some real uh, synergies here. In 2004, you served as the executive director of President Bush's Commission on Implementation of U.S. Space Exploration Policy. How did you get that assignment, and what role did you play in the process? Well, during that time, I was a, uh, a special assistant uh, to the NASA administrator, and uh, uh, Sean O'Keefe. And uh, he asked me to uh, uh, to take on this task. Uh, he'd uh, I remember it was in uh, January of 2004, and, and we had a discussion. He told me that uh, President George Bush was going to unveil his new uh, exploration policy, space exploration policy, mm -hmm. and was going to form a a uh, presidential commission. And uh, he, at that time, he gave me the task to stand up and facilitate the commission to ensure the commissioners had what they needed to perform the task uh, via the, uh, the, the president's uh, directive and to uh, eventually uh, deliver a final report to the president, and we did that within a, in a six-month period. Obviously, much has changed since then. What impact, if any, do you think NASA's new focus and direction will have on the Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility and the types of projects it undertakes? Uh, um, President Obama has uh, indicated his strong interest and uh, desire to, as, as he states, uh, to restore science to its rightful place mm -hmm. by furthering uh, this country's uh, efforts in technology, environment, science, and, and education. And that aligns very well with the uh, scientific research and experiments that we perform here at uh, at at uh, the Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility. These, <clears throat> these uh, activities um, and mission operations and the airborne uh, platforms uh, that we have here at the facility fulfill a key 
key niche in the earth science and astrophysics. So it's, it's, it's very positive for us. You also served as the Executive Secretary for Management on the Columbia Accident Investigation Board. How difficult was that assignment, and what would you say were the most valuable lessons NASA learned from it? Uh, this was a uh, very uh, diff very hard, difficult, and uh, an emotional assignment for me. Mm -hmm. uh, however, it uh, had a uh, significant purpose, and uh, I was also very proud to have been able to serve in, the, in uh, this capacity for the greater good of uh, NASA and the country uh, in, uh, in uh, the capacity I served on this board. You know, the, the, the loss of the Columbia was a very tragic and somber time for, for all, the, all the men and women mm -hmm. uh, uh, at NASA and, and, and the country as well. Uh, unfortunately, this disastrous event uh, uh, is, well, it still is a solemn reminder of the uh, uh, research and the experimentation and the discovery of, uh, of this, uh, of, you know, of this storied agency that we undertake uh, in the leading edge, high risk, and very hazardous uh, uh, events that we partake, uh, partake in. So it's, it's, that tells you what we do is very high risk mm -hmm. in, in that area. But uh, the unfortunate uh, uh, result of losing, you know, seven of our uh, what I consider very our, our precious family members. Uh, NASA has become a very, uh, as a result, has become a very close and tight-knit family, and we've undergone some organization and cultural changes. Uh, we've changed our safety and communications. Um, we've also learned uh, uh, not to be complacent or take anything for granted. Uh, we, we have become, uh, as a result of this, I think we've become more of a learning organization. So uh, we've, we've learned a lot. Uh, it's, uh, it, it, uh, uh, we, we've changed, and, I, and it's all been for the good, I think. Looking ahead, what are your top goals and objectives for the Dryden Aircraft Operations Facility over the next five years?
immunity that I don't believe is provided anywhere else right now uh, provides that basis. And, and I think we'd also like to become one of NASA's crown jewels in uh, Earth-based scientific research and experimentation. So in the short term, I think that's where we'd like to, like to see ourselves head. Thank you, Steve. We at NASA Tech Briefs appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today.